Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. How many of you, at some, before you became a Christian, had something in your life that you felt made you unclean and, un, and, and seriously undeserving of God? You had, you'd really, yeah, you're, you're as bad as the last service. <laughs> Do that again. Look at that. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Actually, the last service was a little worse. Or more honest. Yeah. Um, We're going we're gonna to see something today. We're going to see a, 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 a God's heart searching and going after. You saw a group of people just now that, that were reporting that got on an airplane and all of the shots you have to have to go to Myanmar. My goodness, some of them are, you know, those big jobs, yeah. And, and you, you have to have shots. You have to, it, it costs money. You, you have to fly, I don't remember how, how many hours, but they just fly and fly, you know, and land an airplane and they sit there and then they fly another one. What on earth are they doing? Why would they go clear over there? Because there was, were people ready to hear the gospel. Say ready to hear the gospel. God knows where they are. He knows the hearts all over this planet. He knows who's ready to hear and he will send his people any, any amount of difficulty, any amount of distance. He will put you out of, your, out of your comfort zone. He will use you because someone's eternal life depends on it. You follow this? Yeah. Father God, would you open the word to us? Open our hearts to the word. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to be discipled. And we ask the Lord, the Lord that the word would open and we would be discipled by the word of God. Teach us and feed us. May I have the grace to speak your word faithfully. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to Acts chapter 8. We'll start at verse 25. Acts chapter 8, verse 25. We have been following right now Philip, the evangelist. And Philip is in in Samaria, uh, an area north of, of, of Judea, between... And then the Galilee is north of that. And it's really a, a, the, the, it's a province of Rome now, the whole, the whole area is. But it's, it's, an old, it's an old nation of its own. It's a different place. And we know that Philip and others have fled there under the, with a persecution. Saul is basically the, the chief of police or is, and using the, the religious police. And they're just ravishing the church in Jerusalem. It's a dangerous place to be anywhere in, in their zone. And so people have fled basically across a border. They've fled into a, to a culture that doesn't like Jerusalem, that doesn't like the temple, uh, that has its own form of, 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 uh, of the Torah and everything else. So they've, they've fled into that area. And we've seen this great revival, the healing and deliverance that went on. We saw Simon, recall that, the magician uh, and his, his response. We saw Peter and John come from Jerusalem, uh, 40 miles north there, to the city of Samaria, where Philip is. It's the capital city. 
and uh, have to lay hands because somehow Philip doesn't do this. In fact, you're, not, you're gonna see he doesn't do it with, with what we see today. He doesn't seem to lay hands on people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John, they came north and they laid hands on people. So you've got lots of people who've, who've repented. They have been water baptized and now they have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have an authentic, uh, spirit-filled church, probably hundreds, there in Samaria. It says in this verse 25, this is the, 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 the finishing up of that. So when they, meaning Peter and John, and notice the words, had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. That word that's, that Luke uses there is someone who stands in a courtroom and gives solemn testimony. Well, what was going on? All right, you've got all of these believers, but they don't have a firsthand knowledge of Jesus. So Peter and John, now that you have the church, stand before them, and they tell them, basically, it, it, they, as though they were, had, were sworn to honesty in a courtroom, they stand in front of them and say, this is what we have heard with our own ears, Jesus say. This is what we have with our own eyes seen him do. And they filled in the story of Jesus to this brand new church. And it says they, they headed south. They went, and as they went that 40-mile route back, every village, every city they came to, they evangelized. Well, you know, they would have undoubtedly said, now you guys need to connect with the church in, in it was called Sebast, the city of Samaria. You need to connect with those guys, or they may have even done this. But they're planting churches you're planting congregations all the way down that, that road. Now we pick up with Philip. Verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And mine says, This is a desert. I'll tell you what it really says later. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. And this, he's reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. Let me, let me remind you of, the one of Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And then it will go on. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. As a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. That's awkward. Uh, I'll explain it in your, your Bible study. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. What it literally says is he will be taken, he will be imprisoned and given a false trial. That's what the original says. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth. It's, it's very much like the man is sitting there, if it was a New Testament scriptures, he was reading, reading John 3.16. God so loved the world, and whosoever believeth in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. And turning now to Philip and saying, what, who is that talking about? 
this is such a setup. I mean, uh, the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Say he preached Jesus to him. Isn't that beautiful? And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. He's got a driver. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Samaria, where he made his home and raised a family. Not every human heart is ready to receive Jesus Christ. Different people are at different places in their spiritual journey. Some aren't willing to hear the gospel, but others are, and God knows where that person is every moment of the day. You and I can't tell what's going on inside another person's heart, especially by merely looking at their outward appearance. But God knows the secret thoughts and longings within each one of us. And he knows there are people all over the world, some of whom would really surprise you some of whom might be today an animus priest, who would come to him today if only someone would tell them the truth in a way they could understand. Philip shows us that God is aggressive. Would you say God is aggressive? Yeah. He will send believers after those with open hearts. He will arrange divine appointments, putting you and me next to someone who needs to hear the truth, is of utmost importance to him. It's a matter of life and death for many. And his great longing heart bursts, loving heart bursts with compassion for them. So if you and I will learn to listen and obey like Philip, he will do whatever it takes to have our path cross with theirs. And this is where prophetic guidance comes in. Angels play a significant role in the book of Acts. Peter was twice released from prison by an angel. He saw an angel in a vision who directed him to the household of Cornelius. An angel struck down Herod Agrippa. And an angel appeared to Paul during a storm at sea. In some cases, the angel appears in a vision. But in others, the angel takes on what looks like a physical body and speaks directly to the person. Luke doesn't tell us which method this angel used to communicate with Philip, only that he gave him definite instructions. He was to rise up and go south along the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza Deserta, a city built on the ruins of the old Philistine city that had been destroyed in 96 B.C., I, I looked at that thing and it says, which is a desert. And I kept thinking, why is he telling us this? And, 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 and okay, it's a desert. And then I'm looking at an old map. And I'm looking at Gaza. And I'm seeing a thing called Gaza Deserta. A, a deserted, uh, abandoned Gaza. The, the ruins of Gaza. And right there is where two highways meet. 
If you, if you get an old map and, and see where the, the old Roman roads and the roads of the whole area were, there's a road that leads from Jerusalem directly. I mean, there's some, some moving with the terrain. But it's, it just runs, it's, it's the shortcut. From Jerusalem to Gaza, deserted, the old, the old ruined city which was rebuilt, there's a, a Neo-Gaza, the new one on the seacoast. This is the old one, and it's where the Via Maris and this, which is the main coastal highway, the trunk road that goes from Egypt all the way up to Babylonia. They connect right at that city. The angel is not simply saying something vague. Oh, get yourself to Gaza. He says, Put, get on the road. You know, the one that connects Jerusalem to Gaza Deserta. It connects right in there. It's a specific road. And head south. I'm going to show you somebody. Philip may have traveled back to Jerusalem with Peter and John, or he may have remained in Samaria. I'm inclined to think that that's where he got the instruction and received this instruction right after they left. But whether he traveled alone or with the apostles, it would have been necessary for him to return to Jerusalem and from there to walk south along the road that connected the city with the main coastal highway called the Via Maris. We see that road, by the way, when we go to Israel. That ran between Egypt and Asia. The two roads intersected at the city called Gaza Deserta. Philip did as the angel commanded. And somewhere along the 50 to 60 mile stretch of road that ran between the two cities, he overtook someone sitting in a carriage, not a chariot. I mean, you don't go in a little chariot hundreds of miles. <laughs> you fight battles in those. You don't ride in those. They just, okay, sitting in a carriage, reading a passage of scripture from the prophet Isaiah. The man was the treasurer of the royal court of Ethiopia and was on his way home after worshiping in Jerusalem. Luke mentions that he served under a queen named Candace. At the time, the Ethiopians believed the sun god was the father of each of their kings. So the king himself was considered too holy to be involved with secular matters. So the queen mother was the person designated to manage the government. And each one was given the title Candace, much like Egypt's kings were always called Pharaoh. Make, make sense? So he is the treasurer of the government of Ethiopia. The angel had told Philip to walk down this particular road, but apparently gave him no further instructions. So as he walked along, he must have continually listened for the Holy Spirit's guidance. As each person passed by, he must have asked if this were the, the one to whom he was sent. You can imagine Philip as he's going down the road, looking, probably kind of smiling a little strangely at each person. <laughs> What's he doing? He's, he's walking along going, is it who am I supposed to talk to? I'm here. Who is it? Notice the angel sent him, but the angel said nothing more than that. The angel, whether it was a vision or, or sh just showed up, he, he says, get on that road, head south. Okay, so he's in now. And passing people by. <laughs> kind of looking to see, you know. Nope, not that one, not that one. And then finally he looks up ahead and here is a, a, a royal carriage. Here's a, here's a, this will be some kind of a, a nice, nice, nice ride. And he sees this thing and the spirit spoke to him. So now the heart, 
inside him says, go up and keep pace beside that carriage. He had to run to catch up, and then when he reached it, he walked or jogged alongside. What he was supposed to do is get up and get beside the thing and stay in pace with it. So he, he runs up, and then he's jogging along beside that. You know the guy's got guards. You do not go hundreds and hundreds of miles through the wilderness, basically, is where that road leads, you know, and all that, without a guard. There's, there's highway robbers. There's a whole bit. So the guy's got guards. You know they're all watching whatever this is, and, and here's Philip. <laughs> Smiling strange. And he, and he gets himself, he somehow maneuvers himself close enough that he hears the guy sitting in his carriage reading out loud. All right? He was able to draw close enough, hear the man reading out loud, and what he heard must have instantly confirmed that this here indeed was his assignment. At that very moment, the man was reading from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Nowhere in the Bible, I mean Old or New Testament, is there a clearer explanation of the meaning of the cross of Jesus Christ. Philip must have been absolutely amazed at God's ability to arrange such a divine appointment. He only listened to two verses before asking the man a question which would have sounded something like this. And this is in the Greek. I'm not making this up. So, do you know what that really means? And the brief answer that came out of the official's mouth indicates why God sent Philip on this mission. The man was neither offended nor annoyed to have this stranger challenge his comprehension of Scripture. We hear a heart that was humble and teachable when he says, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And then he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the carriage. Let me ask this. How many of you have had divine appointments? You've had God set you up and open doors that, and, and it was just phenomenal. Raise them high. Most of us, look at that. Me too. I've had times when I wanted to laugh. You know, you can't because the person's standing there. But, but, but I literally wanted to laugh. I've told you a story one time where the guy comes into my room and he says, can I ask you a question? I said, man, I'm studying. He says, just, it won't take long. And I said, all right. He says, well, I said, what is it? He says, do you believe in God? And if so, why? <laughs> I had been praying for this guy. This was during finals. Right now, I didn't care about his soul. <laughs> I would in a week. Um, but so he, 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 he sits there and he looks at me. Do you believe in God? And if so, why? And I said, and, and he says, just one minute, runs out, gets a tape recorder, sticks it on my desk, puts the microphone, the tape recorder kids, those were, those were little deals and they had little strips of stuff that went right between you. Puts his tape recorder in front of me and says, now, do you believe in God? And if so, why? And I looked up, I did look up, I went, I was just like, you are awesome. How do you do this? You've had these too, right? He's, 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 he's jogging along by this thing, and he hears the guy basically reading John 3.16, the Old Testament version. This is, this, there is no passage. This is the most foundational passage, the substitutionary tone at explaining that, that the Messiah would be the Lamb of God. This is it. And the guy's reading it. And then he says, who is this? And Philip must have smiled. He had to smile. Divine appointments. 
Philip meeting the Ethiopian official is an example of what we might call a divine appointment. God speaking to one of his servants and directing him or her to someone who needs to hear the gospel or receive ministry. God can arrange for us, quote, quote, accidentally to cross paths with someone. And, And I give a reference. Anyone want to guess what that is? It's Good Samaritan. Now, the Good Samaritan just happened to be going about his daily business. He was just heading up a road, going to do some kind of commerce in the city of Jerusalem and passes a body. Okay, that, that happens to us too. We go through the day and then without any kind of anticipation, it's in front of us. The opportunity is there like that. That's one way. But as we read the book of Acts, we discover he also miraculously guides his servants he, that he might, he might use a, an angelic messenger or a prophetic vision or the inner voice of the Holy Spirit, he may direct us to someone we've never met, maybe even someone who is very different from us. But he knows that person, and he knows what they need to hear or receive. Philip. Philip's example challenges us. First of all, in the way he was guided. An angel told him where to walk, and then the Holy Spirit pointed out the person he was to talk to and how he was to meet him. The process was very spiritual and intuitive. Are you willing, am I willing to be led in a process that is spiritual and intuitive? What's our answer? There's a discomfort to it. There always is. You're always going, I'm pretty sure he's saying this. What if I'm wrong? I could really look weird. There's always this discomfort. Will you pay the price of that discomfort? Walking in the spirit is is uncomfortable. It is challenging. It is unsettling. I've reflected on this when I first started ministering. I thought, if I'm going to literally let God show up in a service, I don't know what he's going to do. Will I let that happen? Will I let it get messy? Will I risk that? I'm just telling you that we can all say, sure, I'm going to tell you, it'll be, it, it is costly, it's awkward, it's stretching, you're, you're going, is this me, is this him? All of that's there. Will I let the process be spiritual and intuitive? There's nothing wrong with evangelistic programs. I have been part of them and led people to Christ through them. But this wasn't the result of a program. This was Philip hearing God's instruction and doing what he was told. Second, Philip went to great personal effort and showed remarkable courage. It took a lot of faith to do what he did. And there must have been moments while walking down that road when he questioned himself. We don't know how far he walked before he caught up to that carriage. Certainly there would have been a guard riding along who would have been alarmed by a stranger running up and then jogging beside them. And then to initiate a conversation with a foreign official was a bold step. But Philip did it. And the question his example raises is, would I do that? Is this just an interesting story about how God worked during the early years of the church? Or does he still do that kind of thing today? Must I show courage like Philip did? And there's no avoiding the thought. Has he already tried to direct me to divine appointments in the past? But I didn't recognize what was happening or refused. 
As you, look, as you and I look at our lives, we can say, you know, I know there have been times. And, and some of us will say, and I, and I didn't respond. And well, you know, I guess all of us will say uh, that if you really reflect a bit. I'm think these things are, are, when you're in Christ, God speaks whether you know what he's doing or not. Somebody, you just, somebody said to me, I've never heard him speak. And I, my response was, oh, yeah, you have. Lots of times. You just didn't recognize it. Yeah, you did. Don't ever tell me God didn't talk to you. You could tell me you didn't get it. You didn't know which was him and which wasn't. I, I can get that. I fully understand that. But don't tell me he didn't talk to you. Yes, he has. And I, I, let me give you an example. I was one time with a gathering of pastors. There was four of us. And uh, they'd put us in a small group. And um, we were to discuss something. I forget what it was. And, and uh, the pastor across from me was from Flint, Michigan. I remember that. He was a Presbyterian pastor. And the pastor beside, um, to my, uh, to, beside me was, uh, I think he was Nazarene. And uh, we were talking something, and actually we were talking about spiritual things because we'd had a presentation from a pastor from England named David Watson. And he was a spirit-filled Anglican and powerful guy. And uh, so we were discussing this kind of stuff in a way. But this, the, the past, in the middle of the discussion, the pastor from Flint, Michigan, we were supposed to pray for each other, asked the, the Nazarene pastor, as he was supposed to pray for him, and he said, I just feel like I should pray for your parents that they're not saved. And I, I spotted what was happening. And I said, um, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, what is there about this nice Nazarene pastor that makes him look like he has pagan parents? <laughs> and the guy from Flint, Michigan, he says, well, I don't know. And I said, well, why did, you, why did you say I need to pray for your unsaved parents? Do you, did you, do you know his parents? No. But you, does he look like he has unsaved parents? <laughs> no. Well, then why did you do that? I don't know. <laughs> and I said, I do. You do? And I said, now, wait a minute. Are your parents unsaved? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I was playing with them a little bit. I mean, I wasn't trying to be mean. I was making a point. And I said, so you somehow knew something about him. Yeah. Do you know what that was? What? <laughs> it was a word of knowledge. No. <laughs> no. I said, yeah. And he said, I thought it would be weirder than that. <laughs> Don't we have these anticipations? I thought it would be weirder than that. Look at people, your spirit. You've been hearing from God whether you knew you were hearing from God. You're spiritual. You are. You can't get away from it. You're living in a physical body, but you're no animal. You're a, you're, you're a spirit. So you've been hearing stuff. So he went ahead and prayed with that. And, and he says, I just didn't realize. I said, yeah. I said, it's, it's spiritual, but it's, it's natural. It's not supposed to be. It doesn't have to be weird. 
It was, it was a cool moment. How about you? Has God been speaking to you? Has you, have you, has he, has, have you can you recognize? Look at your life. He's guided you. Doing what Jesus did. Philip wasn't the first person to function like this. There are many examples of this type of guidance in the Old Testament. But no one in the Bible relied on divine appointments more than Jesus himself. In fact, he said this was the only way he functioned. Listen, read, read that out loud with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. Now, I'm going to, he also said, read this, I can do nothing on my own initiative. And for I did not speak on my own initiative, but the father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. This is the wonder of Jesus Christ. Now remember this, put this in perspective. He is not functioning in the divine knowledge of the second person of the Trinity. That is who he is. But the Bible says that he took those capacities and he laid them aside like a person lays a cloak aside. That when he became one of us, he became a man. So the guy is not analyzing the chemical composition of everything he's looking at. He's not functioning with that kind of divine mind. You can't pass it off on that. And what he's just told us is he initiates nothing. Everything he did, he did because he first saw by the Spirit the Father do it. Everything he said, he spoke after he heard the Father speak it. You follow this? He was in constant, constant responsive mode. And here's the wonder. He never broke fellowship. That's the part I marvel. He always stayed in the spirit. He always stayed with the Father. Me? Oh, boy. This is actually one of the major focuses, probably a major, a focus that's above all right now for me is learning how do I stay with God? How do I walk with him through the day? Not come in and visit him and then crash. Boy, in my early years, it, it was just an occasional visit and then just down into the mud. And I, I, I'm thinking right now of my college years. Um, I would get so dry so spiritually dry. And I'd met the Lord. I was baptized in the Spirit when I was 12. I knew God. And then I got so, I'd get so spiritually dry that I would march myself into this, this huge uh, stone church that was on the campus of the college where I was. And like a thousand seats, all these, these you know, pews and all. And I'd go somewhere in the middle of it and I'd just sit there and I'd go, oh God. And I'd, I'd have a conversation with him and I'd, and I'd begin to worship him and I'd confess my sins and I'd go through all of that and, and he would faithfully come and refresh me. I remember doing that one time in, in, up in the air conditioning ducts of a, of a Buddhist monastery in Japan. 
I'm serious. I was just dry as a bone, and I had to have God, and I, I had to find someplace alone. And I just went through doors all the way up into the air conditioning ducts at the top of the room. <laughs> I'm sitting up there. There's a little window, and I'm just sitting with God, sitting on an air conditioning duct. And, 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 and what came to me at the time, I'll never forget this, was Psalm 8. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And the realization that David knew my God. And that's how he felt about him too. And I just sat and wept. Anyway, I'd sit in this chapel and I, I just I'd finally break through. Now, God had to, to, to use me quickly. There's a real shelf life on my spirituality. <laughs> uh, probably five, six hours. I'll be back in the flesh real quick. So you, he'd have to strike fast. And he would. It's amazing. It's like quick shells in the spirit. Who, who we got around here? And, and he'd bring these, these divine appointments. I had on two occasions, I had a knock at my door. Like that. I'm sitting in my dorm room. It's not, I'm not out trolling for souls. Uh, I'm just studying. And somebody will come to my door and I'll open it up and he'll say, I hear you're baptizing the spirit and speaking tongues. You know, my roommates are all going, I haven't told them. And, and, and I said, yeah, just a minute. And I'd, we'd go outside. I'd pray for the guy. I'd get baptized in the Holy Ghost and all that kind of stuff. And then I'd fall back into the flesh. So I would visit the spirit. And he'd have a little bit of time when he could use me and then whomp back into, into the flesh. Jesus never went down. And that's something he chose to do. Now, he's in the same body. He's in the same stuff you are. He was in the likeness of sinful flesh. He could have done it too. That's the, of all the things practically that I see of him, I think, how did you do that? How did you stay in that place of constant fellowship with the Father? Jesus is telling us that he was in constant communion with the Father and that everything he did was because he was shown to do what he was shown to do or told what to say. He initiated nothing. Everything he did was a response to the Father's leadership. Does it occur to you that if he had to function that way, you probably do too? I mean, you're not much better than he is. Neither. <laughs> Got it? If he had to do it, if this is what made the ministry work for him, for heaven's sakes, what are we thinking? That we think we would do it somehow on our own initiative. But after his resurrection, Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, he expected us to follow his leadership as carefully as he had followed the Father's. We too are to stay in constant communion with our head, who is Jesus, and daily and moment by moment follow his leadership. This means we're to do what Jesus did. So Philip's example, as wonderful as it is, isn't meant to be marveled at as a strange event, but learned from as a model of how believers can be led by the Spirit. It's possible to go through our day watching and listening for God's guidance. We can start the day by asking for divine appointments and then go about our normal duties as unto the Lord, but all the while staying sensitive to the Spirit, particularly as we encounter people. This does not mean we will forcefully preach at everyone we meet. Please don't. 
This does not mean you just charge through the day blasting everybody. In fact, it means you don't until you're told, until you're shown. Or remain strangely aloof while others carry on a normal conversation. I am describing people I know. You can get in this thing where you're just so spiritual that people are all there, but you're just kind of... And they just think you're a nut. So what we're not trying to do is become odd. You can be very normal, but listening. It's, it's, a, it's an attitude. It's a decision. Starting the day. You know, when you, before you pick up a phone, just in your quiet of your heart, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. You can simply decide, I need you. Every meeting you go into, Lord, I ask for your guidance, for your wisdom. I'm listening for you. And then there's just keeping like one ear open, one spiritual eye watching all the time for what's God doing? What's he saying? Where's he going with this? You know, years ago, a pastor said this, and I've never forgotten it. He said, he said it's very much, he said, I used to wash dishes in a restaurant. And he said, when we did, you always had to be careful for the cracked cup. And, and he said, I would, I, it's, it's like I would feel the inside of a, of a coffee cup. And he said, as I did it, I would just feel it lightly, watching to see, is there a crack there? And he said, and so when I'm talking with people, I'm just carefully watching. Is there a crack? Is there an opening? Is there something here? He said, I just watch for that little crack. I got an example I'll, I'll give you. Uh, I, was, I worked for a department store years ago, and, and we'd have our lunch breaks, you know, and we'd go into the lunchroom, and, and guys would just talk. And I remember one time, uh, one of the fellows I had started praying for, um, he, start, he said, well, he said, uh, last night, he said, I was, I was stinking drunk. And he said, I, I drove down, and, and we were in California, and so this was Colorado Boulevard. In Pasadena. He said, I drove down Colorado Boulevard at 65 miles an hour the wrong way, uh, you know, on the wrong side. And this was like two in the morning or something. And I said, man, aren't you afraid to die? And he says, nah. He says, what difference does it make anyway? Now, let me tell you a really good way to witness. Let them preach at you. So I said, well, what do you, what do you believe about all that? So I, you know, we're just evolved pond scum kind of thing, you know, and it doesn't really matter. I don't know what happens, you know. And he says, I don't really care anymore. <laughs> Guy's just serving me a softball. So I just kind of, at some point, say, can I tell you what I think? Sure. Because I'm, I'm not witnessing, I'm just sharing. Just giving him the gospel, just opening up. And the man's asking me questions, and we're in a really meaningful conversation. Just feeling the inside. Just feeling for the, 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 the opening. You see what is going on? This is person by person. It's not, it's not, it's not technique. It's not some deal you're going to... You're just listening for the open doors and the opportunities that God gives. It does mean we will prayerfully be watching to see if there will be a special moment in this conversation, an open door... And if there is, we will do or say whatever he shows us. That's all he asks. He'll do the rest. God searches the world looking for people who are looking for him. 
Not everyone is. There are many who actually don't want him for one reason or another. But there are many others who do and don't know how to find him. These God searchers aren't people without sin. In fact, the reason many are earnestly seeking him is because they have already tried everything else and know it doesn't satisfy. They're empty and dying and they finally know it. They're at a place now where they want to know the truth. If someone would just tell them that God still loves them and that what they must do to be saved, they would gladly come to him. Here's a verse that I, I just, this really is a powerful verse to me. Paul is in Corinth. He's the first Christian to come. And he's the evangelist. Nobody's, there's no church. There's no Christians. He comes to Corinth. And he gets beat up pretty bad. I mean, he's, he's gone through some really rough stuff. And then the Lord speaks this to him. Listen, listen to this. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I'm with you and no man will attack you. And now read this, that line out with, loud with me. For I have many people in this city. What do you mean you have many people in this city? There's not a Christian in it. Well, I mean, by this point, there may be a few, but what do you mean? God looks at the city of Corinth and he says, I've got open hearts. I got heart searchers, uh, uh, open hearts here that I've been searching out. I know who's ready. I know who's hungry. I know who's been weeping in the night. I know them and I've got a lot of them in this city. Do you see how he views the city? A pagan city. Corinth was known for its debauchery. It was, the, it was the Las Vegas of the entire Mediterranean. It was a vile place. It was a port city with huge prostitution and all kinds of junk like that. God says, I've got a lot of people in this city. I'm going to protect you. You stay. He knows where you are and he knows where they are. And he knows how to direct your paths so they cross accidentally. Or he may prophetically tell you where to go and then point the person out to you. He knows how to pick ripe fruit and to leave the green. I asked uh, David Norcross, who's uh, over our pastoral department, I said, we have a group that treasure hunts. Have you heard that term? They go treasure hunting, yeah. And it's been doing it for years. And I said, have you got a, just one of those testimonies? I, they give them to me, and I, and I read them, and then I throw them away um, for the most part. And, and I said, I, I, need a, I need one of those testimonies. Just hand me one, would you? He just reached in the file, basically, and took one. Uh, tell me how similar this sounds to Philip. Um, this was a Friday, and this team was, was, was praying and seeing where will we go. And uh, they had the locations that they were go to Steel Lake Park, the skate park, and they were to go to 288th and military. They were, those were their assignments. The, the, the description, they, they would look for a young girl with a pink swimsuit, a woman with a blonde shoulder-length hair, an older teen uh, with a preteen brother, uh, a boy with a skateboard, a red baseball cap, a blue baseball cap, light blue, color, light blue in color, keys in the hand, loss of a loved one, patches on the clothing, and an arm cast. Is that pretty specific? Would you know if you saw some of You would, wouldn't you? This is, not, this is like, go to this road, walk down it, I'll tell you what to do next. So this is where they're to go, here's what they're to look for. They knew that they were to pray for, about depression, deep sorrow, divorce of parents, addictions, a newer skateboard, 
leukemia and back pain. They knew that they were to pray for that. So out we go to Steel Lake Park and we parked near the beach. They talked to two people by the water and then the woman spotted a young girl in a pink bathing swimsuit on the beach near the dock with her mom with shoulder length blonde hair. Uh, then they went up and walked over to the family and included a boy and his dad named Colby. We shared what we were doing and shared with some other clues. And he said his dad had committed adultery and his parents were divorcing. He was recently back from Afghanistan and was struggling with depression and other issues related to that. Uh, one of the men sensed that the, the addictions clue was for him also and asked if that was applied. And he said yes, and that he just celebrated this, his one year of sobriety. One other man prayed for Colby's parents and, and for him and his family. Uh, the woman, our woman got a word of knowledge that he used to have a strong Christian walk, but fell away. Uh, he said that was true, but he turned away from God after what he experienced in Afghanistan. They lived in uh, northeast Tacoma. We were interested in going to church. They gave him, gave him a new believer packet, and they got a picture of the family. Then as they walked away, one of our men spotted someone on a skateboard heading to their car, and they noticed they had our keys in the hand and, and, and the look looked just like they were supposed to look. We explained our treasure hunt, shared some of the clues. She explained that her husband passed away in December, was still experiencing deep sorrow and grief, had one swollen arm from lymphoma, and agreed to have us pray for her and thanked us. Often explained that she was a particular Christian background, and we encouraged her to go to church more often. Then in, they had another one. They go to the Kiwanis Salmon Bake, and they spotted a lady with shoulder-length blonde hair and dogs. I don't know if I mentioned dogs. That was one of the things they were to look for. Explained that what we were doing covered some other clues and began to get words of knowledge about her past and how it was impacting her perception of herself. And she was a very giving person. Tears began to run down her face as they prayed. Her husband was barbecuing with her two daughters and watched us on as we shared. He was supportive. And, and I don't have the next page. So, does he still do that stuff? Yeah. <laughs> he knows where they are. He knows where you are. Sometimes it's just by accident. You just cross paths that day. But if you and I will begin to listen, don't force anything, don't make stuff up, just listen. You'll get impressions. It is risky. It is unsettling. You hope you're right. You, you, you do your best to determine, I think it's it. And then you step out. And what will shock you is how often you are right and how accurate it is. And the, the response is, did you hear one person say, I don't want you to pray for me. I don't want to hear this. Not one. This happens all the time. They've been at the South Center Mall and talked to somebody on the street who's standing at the bus stop and weeping and giving their lives back to Christ. They've just thing after thing. God knows where they are. God knows where you are. All right. Now, would you turn to... I have one more thing I want you to see. It's a very important part of this. I'm almost done, but this is, this is precious, and you must see this. Verse 27. Luke says, the man was a eunuch, but it is not at all certain that he was actually a eunuch in the physical sense of the word, because the term could also be used as a general title applied to any trusted court official. Uh, the Bible speaks of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as being eunuchs, but they were not. It says elsewhere they were without blemish. So it's just a term that is used for a trusted court official. If indeed he was a eunuch physically, his mutilation would have made him ceremonially 
unclean according to the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 23 just says a man in this condition cannot come into the assembly of Israel. You just cannot be part of it. So even though he had traveled all this way to Jerusalem to worship, he would never have been permitted to enter the inner courts of the temple or take part in any of its worship services, even if he'd become a Jew. Yet he was, if he was physically a eunuch, that fact would make his encounter with Philip all the more remarkable. As we read about the miraculous process by which God guided Philip to find this man, we realize we're seeing the fulfillment of an ancient prophecy. Now, because the Messiah has come, ritual uncleanness is no longer a barrier that prevents people from coming to God. Everyone, regardless of their condition or history, is welcome. In fact, they're even pursued by him. This fulfills a promise spoken by the prophet Isaiah, which says that when the Messiah comes, this would be three chapters after the one he's reading in the chariot. Philip would have had to just say, turn the page or roll the scroll. Just roll a little further. There it is. He was right there. Three chapters, 53. This is 56. It says specifically that the foreigner and the eunuch will no longer be unclean. They will no longer be withheld. They will, it says, they will be lovingly welcomed into God's presence, listen, even more enthusiastically than a parent welcomes a son or daughter. Quote, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. There is a powerful message here. God saw this man's heart, and that's all that mattered. He was humble, teachable, honest, a light seeker, and willing to repent and believe if someone would just show him how. The real message here is not about how to have a divine appointment. It's a great example of one, but that's not the point. The real message about the love of God and about, is about the gospel is about the love of God, about how the gospel has broken down all the old barriers. You might say the cross of Jesus Christ has torn the veil so that everyone may come into his presence regardless of his or her history. Now, because of Jesus, God not only allows people to come to him whom the law would have excluded, but we see him aggressively pursuing them. Do you see the difference? This is not, there's no accident that this is in the, this is there in the book of Acts. It isn't just, hey, isn't this cool? Look at this. This is an announcement. This is an announcement that, that the old era is gone. Remember I started by saying, how many of you had stuff in your life that made you unclean? You had a bad history that would have made you ashamed to come to God. What this just says is because of Jesus Christ, not only that does that not matter, God doesn't just say, well, okay, I'll let people like you in. It says, if you're willing, I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. I'm the hound of heaven. I don't just tolerate you. 
I long for you. I will take my people. I will put them to great discomfort. I will put them to all kinds of costs. I'll send them miles on foot. And I'll have them chase you down to find you. Because of Jesus Christ, he not only allows people to come to him whom the law would have excluded, but we see him aggressively pursuing them, working miracles to find them. This isn't just an interesting story about an Ethiopian official. It's an announcement. All that matters now is the heart. Whosoever will may come. In fact, if you're willing, look out. Because God is coming after you. He wants you to be with him. If I were to ask you this, did you find God or did God find you? Which would it be in most of our cases? He chased you down, didn't he? he something happened. If you want to tell your story, you would, you would tell a story about some kind of miraculous thing, some kind of intervention, something happened, somebody God used to pursue you, some event. My own story. My mother and I, that's all there was in my family, didn't know the Lord. My mother was looking spiritually, but she was looking in all the wrong places. We, we ended up in seances. I can still remember sitting there looking at a black velvet picture. They were trying to talk to the sucker. I think they did. So we, we're looking in all the wrong places. We're, we're just absolutely dumb. And somebody invites my mom to this prayer meeting. And my mother, as the time got on, wanted to get out of it. She didn't want to go. She called that woman six times in one day. Now, in those days, young people, you would dial a telephone. Yeah, really. I'm not making this up. You'd put your finger in this little hole and you go, yeah. There was no caller ID. There were days in history when there was no caller ID. The woman never answered. And later on, my mom said, this was, we, we ended up, because we couldn't get out of it, we had to go. And so we drove to this thing. It's a bunch of spirit-filled Episcopalians. And we were both powerfully, powerfully uh, brought to Christ in the, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Later on, my mom said, you know, I tried to call and get out of it. And she says, I was home all day. And she said, the phone didn't ring once. He was after us. There was no escaping him. He knew we were so stupid, we'd never find our way. But he knew we were willing. So he did the rest. And I'll bet you have that story if you've come to Christ. I'll bet you, or even if you haven't, I'll bet you if you're honest, you would have to say, he's pursued me. I know that. Luis Palau, an evangelist I admire, he says, you'll never meet a person on planet Earth whose God hasn't been there first. That is a powerful statement. You'll never meet a person on planet Earth, not anywhere on this planet, and God has not been there first. He's already begun bearing his witness. He's already begun drawing the heart. He's already begun pulling and reaching out to them. They know that. There's nobody on the planet that doesn't know that. 
But they don't all know what his name is, and they don't all know how to be saved. They don't know, they, they're lacking that. That's where you and I come in. That's the calling on us. Let me ask this right now as you hear this. Maybe you're here and he's called you. You hear the word of God. You know that the blood of Christ has made a way for you. That if you would repent, which isn't just be sorry about what you've done in the past. That's okay if you need to do that. But sorrow for it to have any value has to lead to repentance. And repentance isn't about the past. Repentance is about the future. Do you want to live the future in submission to the living God? Do you want him to be your heavenly father? Do you want him to lead you? Do you want him to teach you? Do you want him to change you? Do you want him to clean your life up and set you free? Do you want that? Will you surrender to him? Because you don't come into this thing and just pray some little prayer. You give yourself to him and he takes you. And he's the most wonderful father in the world and he'll set you free. That's the funny thing about this thing with God. The more you surrender to him, the freer you become. He's fabulous. So you must repent. So I'm going to just tell you right now. If you want to come to him, that's what you're going to have to do. If you're not ready to do that, well, someday you will be, I hope. The second thing you must do is you must trust Jesus Christ with all your heart as your Savior. You must not just pray a little prayer. You must cling to the cross. You put your arms around that cross and you trust Jesus Christ beginning now to the last breath in your body. You understand? This is something that's a living faith in you. It's your trust and your confidence. Day by day, year by year, you will keep that, your heart and faith alive, full of Jesus Christ. And then I'll tell you what happens. It's called repentance and faith. Those are the two things you must do. You must do both of them, not one of them, both of them. Repent and believe, trusting. Then God will fill you with the Holy Spirit. He says, you are now righteous before him. You're a temple and he wants to come and you must invite him. He wants to come inside. He's with you, but he wants to live inside of you and you become a living temple of God. His, he, he will strengthen you. He will counsel you. He will heal you. He will correct you and convict you. He's going to live inside of you and guide you and speak to you like you're seeing the men and women we're reading about. I, I was just, while we were worshiping, I was just saying, God, I want to live. I want to live in this generation, but I want to be part of that church. Those are my fathers and mothers. I want to be, if I could go back 2,000 years, I don't want to because this is my generation. This is when I'm called. But if I, I want to live with them. That's my Christianity. That's how I want to walk with you, like they did. And we can do that now. Anyone today, would you just bow your heads a moment? I want to ask the question. Anyone today, you say, I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to believe. I'm ready to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm ready to, to, to start my life with Jesus Christ. And I, I, want, I, I want to... I want to pray with you if that's where you are. So if that's you, if you're here, I want to give you that opportunity. Would you raise your hand and just say, Steve, that's me. I'm, I'm praying with you right now. Yes, amen. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. Yes, amen. Yes, yes, yes. Praise God. I, the Lord told me today, he said, you have to give an invitation. He knew you were coming. 
And I knew I had to give this invitation to invite you. Yes, praise God. Hallelujah. This is not a game. This is the beginning. And I'm telling you, if you do this sincerely, you enter in right now sincerely, God will save you and he will fill you and your life will take an, a turn. I've got, I'll, I'll talk to you about water baptism in a minute. I'll talk to you about a place to start with your discipleship. But you're making a life change, not a little prayer. This isn't fire insurance. You're being called to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you're ready for that, he's ready for you. And life will change dramatically, I promise you. And for the better. One last request, just one last moment. Yes, praise God. Anyone else that I've missed? Yes, praise the Lord. Thank you, Savior. All right, church, would you pray with me? And if you've, if you've raised your hand, or you should have raised your hand, would you pray this with all your heart now? And here we go. Dear Lord Jesus, I love you. I see who you are. A beautiful son of God. You're wise. You're good. You're full of love. I've run in the past, but I'm done running. I long for you. And I open my heart today. And I receive you as my great Lord. I put my hand in yours. From this day forward, you are the Lord of my life. You'll, you'll teach me what that means. But I'm surrendering to you right now. I'm bowing my knee gladly. Guide me. Change me. Heal me. Use me for your glory. The days I have left are yours not mine anymore. Jesus Christ, I believe you died on the cross. Not a martyr, but a lamb. You died for me. My sins were put on you. You paid my price. I put my full faith on that. Every sin, everything I've ever done, everything I haven't even done yet, was all on you so that I might be forgiven, that I might have your righteousness over my life, that I might be clean before God, that I might be filled with the Holy Spirit, that no judgment or wrath may be on me. You're amazing. How do you do that? That I'm so forgiven because of what you did. I trust you and will trust you to the last breath in my body. Jesus Christ, you are my Savior and my Lord. Now, church, if you, anyone may do this, but it, particularly if you're praying with me, I, I mentioned this about the Holy Spirit. This is, no, this is, no, this is not poetry. This is absolutely what, what the Bible says it is. Would you put your hand on your heart and then pray with me. What we're doing is deliberately welcoming the Holy Spirit to live inside us. The Bible says that out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God will literally come inside you, dwelling with you. The Spirit of Christ will be dwelling with you and in, with inside you. So you become a temple of God. Literally a temple of God. And he will never leave you.
for all eternity. So would you now lay your hand and just pray with me. Holy Spirit, you are my promise that as I have repented and believed in Jesus Christ, that you are given to me without measure. I welcome you, dear one. Come now and dwell inside. Cleanse me. Teach me to be holy. Convict me. Encourage me. Heal me. Comfort me. Teach me how to walk in God's ways. I love you. And I open my ear to you. And it will follow you as you train me the rest of my life. Release in me the gifts of the Spirit. All that I need. And work in me powerfully as a child of God. In Jesus' powerful name I pray. And I mean every word I've said. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.